Welcome everybody, this is How to English, Teach and Learn with Gavin M. It's a podcast about teaching and learning English as a foreign language. All opinions stated are personal and references will be given when necessary. Welcome to Gavin M's How to English Pod, Season 4, Episode 23. Today, Gav, we're going to start off with our very special guest, who is Dr. Diona Latimer-Hearn from Respect the Dialect. Respect the Dialect began in 2019 as a Facebook group and was created by Dr. Latimer-Hearn and was designed to promote awareness and understanding of the African-American English, AAE, dialect. So visit Respect the Dialect. You can either go to their Facebook page. They also have an Instagram page and website where you can check out loads of resources and posts all about AAE, African American English, and you can get in touch with the organizers. Gav, let's listen to Diona now. Okay, so today we're going to talk a little bit about colonization in the classroom. For some reason, and I say that sarcastically, at least in the United States. Teachers are not receiving linguistic training to the point that would really facilitate classroom exploration of normal language variation because language variation is legitimate and normal. We know this. We know that language variation happens throughout the world and language variation can and should be celebrated. It's something that everyone should be learning about in order to promote understanding and acceptance of global citizens who come from diverse lived experiences and represent diverse sociocultural identities. This is a very basic but vital issue that has a relatively easy solution, education. So case in point, in recent weeks, my son has been advocating for himself and his language in one of his classrooms. Um, He shared that his teacher keeps quote unquote correcting features of African-American English. So my son, having been exposed to and educated on the validity of our rich and beautiful dialect, has raised the point that this is a manner by which others, well, his and others' identities are being erased from the classroom. Now, I have to give props to my son. He's a freshman in high school, and he's stepping up and kind of stepping into his own and speaking up for himself. And so I applaud that. Um, I applaud him for raising this very valid issue with his teacher. Um, The teacher's initial response was that she did not want to offend anyone. So days later, he gets a response that missed the mark entirely. Uh, She emailed him to let him know that his dialect, that our dialect, is quote-unquote informal language and that it doesn't belong in a school or a professional setting. And so she'll continue to correct it. Um, And so this class where quote-unquote professionalism is suddenly so darn important, I'm like, what class is this, right? And he says, this is this is art class. So I'm like, we're playing respectability politics, even in the art room where self-expression is a central tenet of what they are learning. So I don't understand. I cannot begin to count the myriad ways in which Black culture and yes, African-American English um, and other Black Englishes are central to artistic expression. Like you see us throughout music, theater, film, poetry, advertising, graphic design, all kinds of places, right? Even McDonald's is out here on some, I'm loving it. And, and we seem to be okay with their marketing slogan because they're capitalizing off of African-American English. But if somebody says, I'm loving it in class, it's not wrong. So this art class is a place where expression must be contorted to fit into the boundaries that have been established by those who benefit from the benevolence of our rich, ever-evolving culture and language. So the message in this so-called professional art class is that 
his and his peers' expression should be twisted and reshaped to fit into the confines of her limited grammatical expectations. So my son has so far been undeterred in his crusade to raise awareness, to literally educate this educator. Um, he has replied to her email and shared that our dialect can be formal or informal. It's limitless, it's boundless, and it has the ability to meet any and every situation, just like any other dialect, right? Her subsequent silence speaks volumes, but I'm sure only in standard English, so not to be worried. What recourse does he have when the default of our educational system, or even folks' understanding of language in general, is designed to subordinate varieties that don't meet the mainstream or the so-called standard dialect? Any further discussion will at best end with his teacher agreeing to disagree, which is nothing more than her continuing to usher his identity out of the classroom. And it's these very notions that erase and exclude and eradicate diverse identities in schools to the detriment of all learners, teachers included. So without being fully welcomed into the classroom, you can't expect that students will see themselves in the curriculum. You can't build on a foundation they refuse to see. And if the teacher armed with some canned curriculum cannot build on the cultural linguistic identities and experiences of students, these students will become victims of classroom colonization meaning the curriculum instead strips them of their distinctiveness, strips them of their identity, forces them to contort into some foreign, but somehow more desirable identity and does further harm to them through forced perpetuation of perspectives that never align with their own. The entire process only serves to minimize students' lived experiences. What we need are educators and educational stakeholders who are well-versed in linguistic concepts and have at least a basic understanding of language variation. Now, I'm not suggesting that all educators are struggling with this. I know there are some stellar educators out here who are already incorporating many languages and many cultures into their classrooms. Kudos to you. Thank you for your efforts and thank you for all that you're doing. But for those who are not and who have not made an effort to explore linguistic variation or to engage students in other languages and other dialects in the classroom space, what are they doing? I mean, at the end of the day, they are enforcing language subordination in their classrooms, whether on purpose or not. Many are upholding white supremacy in their classrooms, whether on purpose or not, and many are erasing the diverse voices and experiences of global majority populations in the classroom setting. This is an act of violence. And as this is done, we see the result of it touted as evidence of inherent inferiority of global majority students. So when these global majority students who are being erased in the classroom don't perform as well as students whose cultural identities are being centered, then those disparate outcomes are used by educational stakeholders to say that these populations aren't able to compete in the classroom or they're not as intelligent or they're cognitively deficient in some way, when really it's the fact that they're being erased. They're competing with more than just the curriculum itself. They're competing with the fact that they are not represented in any way. And so this is a systemic erasure of these students. And it is a horrible act that happens every single day in many classrooms. Thank you so much, Dionna. That was absolutely fascinating and is such an important topic. We're really glad you raised it with us. This will give us the opportunity to discuss it now. And we also encourage our followers to participate by thinking about how they can apply the knowledge they get from today's episode in their classrooms. Yeah, thank you very much, Dionna. It's given me a lot to think about. I'm very surprised this was an art teacher, by the way. I think that is quite shocking that an art teacher would be quite so narrow in their views. Questionable, perhaps. Imagine what challenges the other classes may present to students speaking AAE. And I really support Dionna's son being an advocate for his own English. 
It's really important that teachers can respect the other varieties of English being spoken in the classroom and respond appropriately. And it sounds like this teacher didn't respond appropriately. And I think that's what we can definitely discuss today, Em. Definitely, Gav. At least the teacher tried to reply, but then fell a bit short with going forward. I think the conversation just stopped. And I think the conversation is so important to open up and discuss this. Just imagine what message this sends to the students, Gav, if the teacher is not open-minded enough to have a conversation about this. The students might think the teacher's ignorant, scared. Absolutely. And the teacher saying nothing is not the solution to this issue. And as we are TEFL teachers, I wonder how this relates to us, Gav. As we are teaching English, this must be something we think about too. Em, should we define what a TEFL teacher is? It's a teacher who teaches English as a foreign language. So we are choosing, when we go into our classrooms, which kind of English our students will be learning. And who are our students? I think they come from all over the world and they have many different jobs and in industries and students at school level can be toddlers, can be children. And English isn't their first language. That's right. We have a huge impact on the English these students are learning and speaking in the world. And I often think about which is the best English to teach them. Em, can I ask you a question? You can ask and I hope I can answer. What is the English you teach in your classroom? Is it standard English? Oh, that's a hard one. Standard English. What is standard English? Exactly. If you try telling somebody there's a standard English, then I think you, again, fall short because there is no standard English. If I quote April Baker Bell, Associate Professor of Language, Literacy and English Education on the buffalo.edu website, she says, standard English is a myth. The belief that there is a homogenous standard one-size-fits-all language is a myth that normalises white ways of speaking English and is used to justify linguistic discrimination on the basis of race. Well, she said it better than I could say it, but I totally agree with that. But who chooses the books we use and who writes the books we use and who promotes the books we use? I would say the majority of the time it is a Eurocentric kind of English. That is a very good point, a very good question, because it is generally accepted or expected that we use books in our classes. If we're teaching kids or adults, there would be a standard English course book for students. Which I'm sure is the same in state schools anyway. But for English learning, there are definitely, I would say, three or four mainstream books that are always the go-to books. I hope they're getting better. I've actually moved away from books myself, so I don't use them as much, but I hope they're getting better and showing more range of English. But I have a suspicion it's still quite similar to how it was 50 years ago. I think even if I recall, when you turn to the back of the book, it has a standard pronunciation chart. Which is based on an RP English. And RP, received pronunciation, is spoken by a very very small group of people living in a very specific place in the UK. But where do we go from here, Gav? Like, in practical terms, if you're teaching a class 
of students. Do you choose one kind of English to teach, generally? In my lessons, I introduce variations of English to give my students as much exposure as possible to other kinds of English. In what way do you introduce it? I might play a video. I might have some audio. We might check out a topic that's introduced by somebody else. But we mostly focus on the topics or the ideas rather than the language for these kind of listening tasks. So you're not focusing so much on the language, you're focusing on the content over the style. Yeah. That covers listening and reading and those passive skills. But what happens when you move away from that and you start teaching grammar or speaking skills? As an English teacher, you're supposed to be in quotations, correcting and checking. And if a student is making a mistake... Ah, let me mm. stop you there, Em. <laughs> what do you mean by mistake? Well, let's say a grammatical error according to the book you're using, mm. which is where it gets fuzzy, isn't it? And I think we have mentioned this on other episodes where there are variations in English. Are you talking about episode 16 of season four, Native Speakerism? Probably. I think we mentioned it before that too. But yeah, it's a recurring theme in our podcast. Also, episode 14 of season two, where we talked to Coco about pidgin English and she told us all about Cameroon English. Yes, that is the one I'm thinking of. Back to that episode. Because some so-called errors are unanimously agreed to be wrong and can be corrected, but others might be perfectly acceptable in some variations of English. Well, that's where the teacher has to decide what to correct and how to correct. So how do we do that as teachers? How do we work with all these variations? As Diana said, maybe we need to start with some training in linguistic variation. Definitely. We need to familiarise ourselves with as many different types of English as possible. Mm. And then from that, we can advise our students. So, for example, if a student says to me, I heard this sentence, the person didn't say B, and the student says, I'm confused, should I use B in this sentence or not? I say, well, where did you hear it? What person was saying this? Maybe they were using a variety of English which you haven't seen before. It's not incorrect. It's just one of the many different Englishes. So I say to the student, you decide, is this the English you want to speak? If so, I tend to tell students to be quite consistent. So mm -hmm. choose the English you want. Is it American English? Is it British English? Is it Indian English? Whichever you decide, I recommend you stick to it. Otherwise, it can be a bit confusing for the listener. I think that's generally a good guideline. I am super aware now that with the internet, with all this knowledge we have, that my students are going in the world, looking online, and they're finding all these different varieties of English. So any question I get in my classroom, I will be open-minded and I will think, okay, they've heard it, then it's definitely going to be an English somewhere that I probably am not familiar with, but I need to explore it. So what you said, ask about what you were watching, what was the topic, what was it about, who were the people, and then you can really start learning something. And I think that's a great thing to have as a regular part of your lesson. So explore that as a teacher, explore that as a group, because that must be fascinating for students. 
If I simply look at the varieties of dialect, I've got, for example, North American English. We could talk about African American English, African American Vernacular English or Ebonics. We've got Cajun Vernacular English. We've got General American. We've got Latino, Hispanic English. The mm. list just goes on and on. And if our students are watching programs or they've got influences that they follow and all they're hearing is this kind of English, they're going to be quite confused, I think, when they come into our classrooms and our books are showing something that is totally different. So I think it's worth remembering this. And at the same time, I think it's worth remembering what your students need English for. If they are learning English to communicate with certain people, for example, they work with call centres in India, I would really focus on the way that English is spoken and I would teach them how to communicate using that style of English. I wouldn't insist their English be what's in the books because it's not going to be useful. It's not going to help them communicate. That's personally how I would do it. But then I would need to do a lot of work myself to actually find out what that's like, find examples of it and be able to teach it to them. I don't think there's any point insisting your students only speak one cookie cutter mould of English. You have to be in the world, you have to be in the real world and you have to really understand what they're learning for and who they're talking to and be open to alternatives. So invite English varieties into your classroom and explore that with your students and just have fun. It's one of the wonderful aspects of English that it's so diverse and spoken across the world in these varieties. And as Diana said, it's ever evolving. So you have to know a lot about the past, but I think you also need to know what's happening now and in the future, how it's going to change, keep up with that change and be willing to ask questions from younger people because they're the ones that are evolving with it. So if you're not able to keep up, then ask them to explain it to you. I think maybe there's this idea that teachers have to know it all and go in with a knowledge and show the students they are very confident and that they they have a strong idea about what they're teaching. But maybe that needs to change as well. Maybe we need to be more open to being taught I absolutely agree, Em. I think we should be open to input from our students. But then on the flip side, maybe the educators should already know. That's, I think, Diana's point. You know, maybe the students shouldn't need to educate the educators. I don't mind being educated, but open-mindedly be educated, not close to it. And to be able to be actually educated, I think maybe there is a bit of a wall there sometimes if young people are trying to communicate something and they're not getting listened to there has to be a two-way street there mm -hmm. from my side I, I'm happy to be educated but I can understand why Diona's son's frustrated that in that school situation his educator seemed very closed-minded and ignorant so I think you have to be able to show openness to this and if you're not sure about something as a teacher then be willing to be educated by your students. I think educating the educators is great for my side. I love learning things from my students. But if you need, as a teacher, to show that kind of authority, that you know what you're talking about, maybe you need to do your homework. Mm, absolutely. You need to find that balance. And also, we need to consider the curriculum. We need to make sure that it's reflective of all cultures, of all types of English. Absolutely, Gav. If everything's good in the curriculum, then you can follow it and you can trust it. 
it is a bit frustrating, this disconnect from what is in the world, the English that is spoken, like Diona's example about, I'm loving it, everybody knows that expression. How many times have you had the conversation, Gav, in your classroom of students learning present continuous and the correct use of ING in the books, as you know, correct, as they say, um, and then the student saying, well, what about McDonald's and I'm loving it? It's just, it's getting boring now, isn't it, that they're not actually including it in books. Publishers. I've never seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it in a published book of English that there is also this state verb, ing, becoming more popular. That is a good example of AAE that's been used in popular media. Some other examples are found on the buzzfeednews.com were On Fleek, AF, Savage, Shade, Spill the Tea, Woke, All of these have origins in black English and they do crop up everywhere in advertising, marketing. Your favourite social media influencer uses all this language. It's just become every day. But you're right, we don't see it in our students' books yet and it needs to be there. And why not talk about the origins as well while we're looking at this language? Mm, Because there's a certain amount of cherry picking going on, isn't there? These kind of words that become cool and fashionable but... Some are adopted and others are disregarded and there's no real... Consistency? Mm -hmm. So it seems quite hypocritical, I think, for educators to be using some words and not others and not explain the reason why. I think there is no reason. It seems to be quite arbitrary which words are chosen and which words aren't and then why use that one and not another one and the argument seems very complicated and strange. So I can see why there's confusion there. So if you're in a classroom and somebody wants to use one word or not not another word... Like woke, for example, that everybody uses woke to talk about a particular group of people or a political movement. But if you wanted to use on fleek, suddenly the teacher decides, no, that's too colloquial or that's informal language, and then the teacher reprimands the student. So that is really confusing, this pick and choosing of language. Yeah. And we need to think about ways to promote equity within our classrooms. Now, I've got some top strategies for promoting equity in our classroom. They come from pce.sandiego.edu. Let's just go through them. For example, reflect on and challenge your own beliefs. So, read about diversity and equity. Watch movies, documentaries, TV shows, listen to podcasts. Make sure that you're expanding your view of English. You're getting different varieties of English. You're exposing yourself to the different grammar, the different vocabulary. This is really important as an educator. And I feel like from our podcast, Gav, our guests have really helped me expand my view on all of this. So it really works. Yeah, and we're really grateful to all the guests that have contributed to help us reflect on our own beliefs. Also consider modelling equity for your students. So keep questioning your behaviour the way you question and guide your students. Set the example, definitely. Show how open-minded you are and hopefully your students will also be the same. Review your teaching materials with an eye towards diversity of voice. So consider which voices are speaking in your classroom. As I mentioned before, there are so many materials out there teachers can use Remember to invite voices from around the world 
on a range of topics and lessons on diversity, inclusion, bias, so that students can feel they belong in that safe teaching space. Yes, there's no reason not to do this now. I think we have so many available resources. There is absolutely no reason not to. And the course books are getting better for this. So you might not even have to look too far. But I think you can always stretch more. There's always more you can find. A good example of that was from Season 3's Episode 12, Remember we talked to James Taylor from Braz Tessel? Of course, yes. We looked at the Raise Up books, an amazing series of student and teachers course books on diversity and inclusion, which covered topics like disability, immigrants and refugees, neurodiversity and many more fascinating and important topics. You can visit them at raiseup.gumroad.com and buy your own copies of the students' books for your class. And also don't reinforce stereotypes, M, because that can also happen. So if you're using an English course book from 1972, maybe just have a look and see if you agree with what's written there. If there's a wide spectrum of English in there, if it represents lots of countries, lots of different English, lots of people from different backgrounds, maybe just have a look. Definitely have a look before you use it in your classroom. Or maybe you want to analyse it and with your students, explore the problems. Ooh, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Maybe discuss what's missing from that book with your students. That's a good way of exploring diversity too. Mm -hmm. Remember that every student is different and has unique needs. So accommodate different learning styles and abilities. I totally agree with that. Um, We need to be very mindful and don't just put our students into one big homogenous blob. I know it's hard work because you have to think hard and you have to really plan your lessons thinking of all these different people that you're teaching but that's the only option in my opinion you have to consider everyone you don't want to be offensive you don't want to exclude people you don't want to isolate people or bully people and maybe you're not even aware of that happening but you should always reflect on it and see that what you've planned and what you've decided to talk about as a teacher will be good for everyone. Some other points to keep in mind. If you're teaching kids, prioritise parent communication and engagement. If you're an employer, hire diversely. Think about your teaching team. Can you find people from different backgrounds more reflective of your community? And finally... For me, probably most of all, cultivate a classroom environment where every student feels heard. That's right. Give everyone a voice and everyone an opportunity to ask questions and have a safe space. You need to create a healthy environment where students feel they can question things and ask what you think and you're open to changing your mind. Because if the students can't ask their educators questions, who can they ask? Absolutely. For more practical tips on diversity, you can visit prodigygame.com. There's also a list of books to learn AAE English. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Gav, I think it must be time for... Learn a Word. word. That was not at the same time. Um, And this week... (laughs) (laughs) This week's word is variety. Nice. Have we not done this one before? No. Have we? Have we? Okay, variety. We may have done it before, but we're going to do it again. Variety. The noun is described as the quality or state of being different or diverse, 
the absence of uniformity or monotony. That's a nice word, Gav. I like that. And as we say, variety is the spice of life. Exactly. Also, a number or range of things of the same general class that are distinct in a character or quality. Meaning like a variety of languages within a category of languages, as in English has many varieties. Precisely. Ah, nice. So we concluded that variety is a great thing to have in our classes and to share with our students, M. That is a nice word to finish on, Gav. Thanks again to Diona from Respect the Dialect. Thank you so much for your contribution to today's show. Don't forget, everybody, visit respectthedialect.com and you can check them out on Facebook and on Instagram. Links in the show notes. Well, we've had a lot to think about today, Gav, and we should continue to reevaluate, question ourselves, and aim to be better at what we do. That's my goal, too. Em, catch you next time. Bye. Bye.